Welcome to The Catalyst, where we explore creative ideas to spark innovation in an unhealthy healthcare system. I'm your host, Dr. Lara Salyer, a physician and mom of three who is reimagining the way I practice medicine after suffering and overcoming burnout. Join me as I teach you how to optimize flow and catalyze your own revolution in healing. Tune in for candid conversations with leading experts in conventional and holistic healthcare who dare to believe a better future is possible for all of us. Life is made of teeny catalytic moments of immense impact. When strung together, the transformation is magical. Join us and let's color outside the lines. In this Catalyst podcast episode, you're going to learn all about art therapy, featuring Amelia. Amelia Hutchinson is an artist and art psychotherapist living and working online from the Slocan Valley of British Columbia. She combines approaches from psychotherapy, counseling, and art making to support people in their mental health. In addition to her clinical practice, Amelia runs groups and open studios for people to connect with a sense of play, rest, and real wellness through art. And this was a fun interview. Selfishly, I just wanted to talk to Amelia. I've been a part of her anti-hustle art studio and she's doing great work reclaiming creativity as needed. That's why it resonates so much with with me because we all are creative beings, we've just forgotten. And so she invites us to think again about how we look at ourselves, how we can infuse creative play in every day. And she gives us actionable tips on what to do if you're feeling burned out and you want to reintroduce yourself to your inner creative muse. So stay tuned and listen to this awesome interview with Amelia. Oh my goodness, if you could look up artsy, quirky, authentic, mindful, and generous in the dictionary. It would all be under one name, and that is Amelia Hutchinson. And I am so, so excited, selfishly, to have you on this podcast because I've been a fangirl of your work on Instagram, and I love everything you do. So without further ado, thank you for being on the Catalyst podcast, Amelia. Oh, it's the best introduction. Thank you, Laura. I'm really happy to be here. I'm so excited. So I need to tell our listeners if you if you have not checked out art therapy IRL or in real life, you need to definitely follow because what Amelia does is changing the conversation we have around creativity. It's like you and I are in similar worlds, just looking from the opposite side, because what you're doing is inviting people to think of creativity in a completely unique way, much like I'm trying to get doctors and healthcare practitioners to see that it's medicinal, it's necessary. It is our sixth vital sign that we need to practice. It is what makes us human. And I love that you hold space for people to show them, hey, you don't have to be Picasso. Um, you don't have to be any, any version of what you think creativity is. So why don't you tell me a little bit in your words, what brought you to this work? So I came to this work in... I think a way that a lot of art therapists come to this work, they have an experience at some point in their lives where art holds space for something that's hard to put into words. Um, For me, that was a childhood experience of trauma and loss. Uh, I didn't actually go through an art therapy process technically per se, but I did have an amazing painting teacher Mm -hmm. and it was important that she was an abstract painting teacher. So I had this kind of holding space from the time I was five years old until I was 18, this kind of weekly space to explore, um, painting in an abstract way. So, I mean, that I think is just one of the most foundational privileges of my life. And at the time I wouldn't, I wouldn't have expressed it this way, but I think what having those tools, right. Having color and texture and line and shape 
gave me was this whole kind of secondary tool belt, right? It's hard for someone that young, especially developmentally to describe what it feels like to experience traumatic loss. But I really think that the thing that made it possible for me to kind of have have an experience of post-traumatic growth was that there was this, this creative holding space. So I think that has just been embedded in, in my life, um, growing up. I also had an art teacher in high school who was an art therapist. And I remember him saying that the first time. And I just thought, oh my gosh, those two words together, something clicked. And that kind of set me off on, on this path. I took a scenic route. I didn't go kind of directly into art therapy as, you know, as we tend to, but um, there was no question. There was no question for me that those two modalities made sense together, you know, given what I had experienced with creativity growing up. That's amazing. You're describing like you're giving tools for another language. And I think Mm -hmm. that is how art and any creativity. And when I say creativity, people know by now, the listeners know that it's, it's not only painting, only poetry, only song, only dance Art. I mean, creativity is something done in your own unique way. That's meaningful. Mm -hmm. That's unique and new to you. And, and what I love is you're giving people tools to express themselves in a language that might be nonverbal, you know, that is Mm -hmm. like you said, as a young child, before we can put words to these complex emotions, I mean, even just anchoring our emotions in our body with a somatic address is something that is hard for some of us to do because we've just been disconnected from our body, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you're giving this texture and color to people without judgment and saying, just create, um, give me an example of what an art therapy session might look like. Mm. So it's different for every single person, um, which is exciting. I get to kind of be in this improv place with, with the folks I work with. Um, but it can look like all sorts of things. If someone comes in with a really, a really strong artist identity and says, okay, I want to be painting. I have this skill set. I want to go in this direction. Amazing. We can kind of use those types of skills. Um, awesome. but we can also do things like, you know, play with the shadows. Um, poetry can come into it. Uh, things like kids art materials can come into it. So there's a whole range of, of what we might consider arts, um, movement and drama and all of these different things can come into it. So, you know, it's not necessarily something that needs to be with painting or drawing, but to get concrete, the way a session might look is we'll come in kind of open with a check-in. Oftentimes that's something quick and visual, uh, just to kind of get out of the kind of analytical thinking that we're often saturated in all day. Right. Yes. And then, and then from their space to actually make something, um, and either that's someone moving in spontaneously deciding what they want to work on, or more commonly I'm giving some kind of prompt, some kind of project that relates to the mental health goals they've set for themselves, uh, the materials they're comfortable using. Uh, there's a lot that goes into deciding what an appropriate directive or kind of invitation, as I like to say, right. would be. But we'll have space for that creating. Uh, and these are all happening on Zoom too. I only work online. So I'm making art while my client is making art. And then at the end of the session, there's time for processing. So usually 20, 30, sometimes even 45 minutes to actually talk about what that experience was like. And this is this is where the art psychotherapy um, training comes in is where we can look at an experience, look at an yes. image and start to kind of pull out what are the metaphors here? How is this process relating to kind of what you're experiencing, you know, what your goals for wellness or mental health are? And that's where we start to integrate this kind of visual experience into something that yes. kind of makes sense cognitively and they can bring out into their life every day. 
That's beautiful and so meaningful. And what I love about some of the reels that you've had out there is you're showing how accessible. I mean, you grab what looks like my art room, which is a bunch of random stuff, glitter and like rhinestones. And I've seen times where you just smear Elmer's glue around and you're just kind of dabbling and it looks crazy, but that's the process, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's the, especially for, I think those that battle with perfectionism, that it has Mm -hmm. to look a certain way when you give in to the uncontrolled nature that is art. It's very fascinating to see the metaphor that come out. Um, what would you say is a great self tool they, or maybe some kind of exercise that you would recommend anybody can do right now, like in the moment, some kind of therapeutic art exercise that we could do? Sure. So I think something really important to remember with you know, therapeutic art is that we're not going for a finished product, right? A, a kind of a term that's often used is something that is low skill, but high sensitivity, right? There's lots of feedback and we can learn a lot from it. So, you know, just for an everyday person, um, grabbing materials that are just accessible around your house, if you're someone with Play-Doh, because you have kids around, something like that, or even just a sheet of white printer paper, um, and taking a moment to be with that material, whatever it is, maybe it's condiments from your fridge or something, <laughs> something like that. And, you know, holding the question, okay, if this was a metaphor for how I'm doing today, what might it look like? So Ooh. for the example of like a piece of paper, that might be, okay, do I need to scrunch it? Do I need to rip it? Do I need to roll it? Do I need to fold it up into a tiny, tiny piece, right? There's so many ways that you can wow. make a visual metaphor with really, really simple materials. And then then you have this object that's, first of all, outside of yourself, right? We yes. might have been having this experience of holding an emotion, a feeling, something inside of our bodies, and you've externalized it. And then you can start to actually dialogue with it. So, okay, what do I see here? Uh, What does it need? Maybe that folded piece of paper needs to be smoothed out. Maybe you need to even go grab an iron and and properly smooth it out. Maybe it needs to be burned or transformed in some other way. But the point I'm trying to make make here is that, you know, we can take really simple materials and just see, okay, what, what would my insides look like if I was to kind of transform this material and make a symbol right now? I love that. What would my insides look like if I was to transform and make a symbol? And that is so true. And this is where I think there's a huge dissociation in healthcare. We're trained and appropriately trained to be very confident and very gathered with our emotions and check ourselves, but to a point where it's numbing. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of practitioners are disassociated of their own emotions. They don't realize Mm -hmm. they're burning out. They don't realize um, the little boxes that they live in. And so when you start to give in to the idea of being silly again and playing, and this is what kids do. This is their love language. Kids know Mm -hmm. that when they get into creative flow, they feel better. Kids know this intuitively. That's why you see them always experimenting with different art materials, whether they think they're an artist or not, because if you ask all the kids, they're going to say, of course, I'm an artist. You know, it's not something that they have to feel like they earn that label. And, Uh and, you know, with adults, it's like, what, why would I do that? That's silly. I don't, I mean, a piece of paper, you know, but when you give into this and you just do what feels fun and playful. It's so cool to see what comes out and how you can layer on that metaphor is powerful. I think. Mm, and I'd even argue, you know, I think sometimes we look at something like art therapy or taking time out to just play in our adult lives, right? That's luxurious, that's right. silly. Like maybe I should go do something kind of a more cardio. Serious. I need to be doing some cardio, right? Cardio uh-huh. or read a self-help book, like not yeah. just those things. Those things are right. important, but I think it's a powerful message to send to yourself that, you know what, actually in my life, I deserve space for play. I deserve space for things that aren't 
productive. Yes. Yes. In fact, I've been very honored and excited to be part of your anti-hustle art studio, which is exactly what you did. And I thought was brilliant. You basically turned it around by saying, this is a space to create. I'll give you prompts, but it's a space to do whatever. There's going to be no check-in. You're not going to have to prove your art. In fact, it could be, it could be writing. It could be anything, or you may not decide to do anything, but it's space that you're dedicating for an hour. And you hold this anti-hustle art studio online and it's people all across, you know, different areas. And it's so neat because it's with that intention of non-productivity. And that's so important Mm -hmm. for our brain to have that space of just not having to be in that hustle, always looking at the milestones. What are we doing next? Where are we going? You know, and you're allowing that openness and grace. And I think that is something so key that none of us realize we need. It's not luxury. It's something that is very essential. When, what was the catalytic moment that you realized that was something you needed? Oh my gosh. Um, well, being in the first like first years of running my own private practice and just noticing for myself, oh my goodness, I don't make art for myself anymore, right? This is such a central piece of my identity and everything I make is in the context of my work. Like the lines between kind of my passions and my hobbies and my work are so blurry because my work is my passion. And I just, I thought to myself, I don't remember the last time I made art and didn't post it, or it didn't become part of telling the story of what my work is. What do I even like to make anymore? And also just this moment of realizing I am working unbelievable hours, um, in, in my business. And I don't know if I'm very good anymore at just setting aside time for rest, especially creative rest. I'm preaching that every day to my clients, but I actually just need a space for myself. Right. No, Mm -hmm. that is, that's great that you were able to self-identify because I think a lot of us don't, we, we tend to, at least the practitioners that I'm working with, and I, I can identify this in myself, at many times we feel like we have no autonomy, no agency, mm-hmm. nothing's left, we have no choices. And we always have a choice of thought, and we always have a choice of how we want to process and use this emotion and understand mm-hmm. what it's teaching us. And I think we get we get out of that habit, you know? And I think when you practice holding space, it becomes easier and easier. I don't know how you feel. I feel like when I started laying down loving boundaries, you know, I don't like to call them walls, but just like how I wanted to use my energy and Mm -hmm. what felt good to me. And it gets easier and easier. Are you finding a lot of your clients find that this carries out beyond the walls of their, their session with you, that they're able to use some of these lessons for other things? I think it just cements for people that that art is such a valuable self-care tool. Um, and, you know, I don't necessarily mean self-care in the way that we're, you know, attending to things that are sure. wrong in the moment, but, you know, preventative self-care, like what does mm-hmm. it mean to actually care for my nervous system and having this experience held by another person, right? It's so much easier to um, attend to ourselves when we made the appointment, when we paid for it, when it's in our calendar, Yes, yes. right? Which is also, you know, one of the reasons Anti-Hustle Heart Studio I think it's effective for people because we've set aside the time, but I think what happens with clients as well is they have this experience of, okay, I just, I made art for 45 minutes today or an hour today. I had it witnessed and held and I'm noticing somatically and emotionally how different I feel. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is, this is something that's really important to my well-being. Yeah, absolutely. It is a self-regulating tool. I think our, our emotions have such energy in our body and, and if only it's a great opportunity to just pause and reflect on that energy. And, and 
even after the event, you know, note, like you said, noticing how different you feel somatically and energetically is enough to uh, definitely made me a believer when I signed up for the anti-hustle art studio, I thought, well, this will be interesting. I was curious, how is this going to go? And it's very similar to kind of the, um, in vogue fad that happened in early pandemic when people were doing co-working online spaces like sprints just mm-hmm. to keep them focused and accountable because it was hard to do that. And it ended up being a wonderful asset where people were connecting and also, you know, in the name of productivity, but really also holding space to just learn about themselves and how they focus better. And this is similar, but in a more beautiful way, just a great opportunity just to experiment and play. I think it's mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. tell me Tell me a little bit more about our attempts in this culture to resist hyperproductivity. What does that mean to you? <sighs> Actually, as you say that, my, my whole body just kind of settles. <laughs> it's so hard, right? We're told from a very, very young age that our value comes from who we want to be when we grow up. What's the job going to be? Yes. How are we going to present ourselves outwardly? What's you know our earning capacity or, or whatever it is, right? We place so much value mm-hmm. on the job we work, right? We walk mm-hmm. into a cocktail party and someone asks us, what do you do? Yep, and that's, that's the first question we begin yep. to identify. And I think, you know, I'm glad you brought up the pandemic earlier because I feel like there was this cultural shift around, okay, well, where does my value come from? Right. If right. it's not work or if it's, it can't be this job or whatever circumstance, then, then where does my value come from? Um, so I think I'm I'm really honored and excited to be a part of this moment of kind of more consciousness of okay where does our productivity actually yes. lead us and what would it mean in my life or what would it mean culturally to find other ways of attending to ourselves of feeling well that aren't just connected with okay but I'm doing this quick fix so that I can become more productive again I'm doing the meditation so I can be more effective at work et cetera et cetera brilliant. you know what I mean brilliant. Yes. In fact, you're reminding me of a book that we had talked about, The Untethered Soul, where the author was talking about how challenging it would be. It was a thought experiment to describe yourself without listing any accomplishments, because that's how we identify. If you think about (laughs) it, like Uh I'm a, I'm a citizen or I'm a mom or I'm a, a doctor or I'm a, but wait, Okay, let's not use that. And so everything we use is a value statement. Oh, I'm mm. a, you know, I do this or this is my hobbies. And it's not saying that they're it's wrong, but it's very difficult to separate ourselves from what we do because that does define us. And I think it's more of like a, a power for good and evil. I think if we can take some of that back and say that is going to happen, we're human, we identify mm-hmm. based on our likes and dislikes and our hobbies, but also not to cling to labels and identity. Mm-hmm. There's a difference, I think, don't you? Totally. And you know, you're going to get something, something pretty Buddhist here about this idea of, okay, I, I'm not going to attach myself and my whole worth. Like I'm not going to put all my eggs in one basket for something that will go away. Right. Yes. My identity as an art therapist will go away. My, you know, my loving partnership will go away. This house yes. will go away. All of these things that I'm kind of hitched on, you know, providing my happiness. Um, I don't have control over those things. And what would it mean to find different practices that give a more stable sense of well-being. And it's probably kind of reinventing that word when we really think about that question. I know for myself, creative practices are the ones that bring me back to that mindful place of like, okay, can I just be okay in this moment 
and not need anything more from it, not need the accomplishment, not need the accolades at work, not need more done. Yes. Yes. Brilliant. Absolutely. And, and I think it is, we, we all have egos. We're a bunch of walking egos on a stick and we're all going to have those moments of wanting, you know, to identify with things we're proud that we did accomplish, but it's that safety net that I think what you're giving people and reminding them in the anti-hustle art studio movement that you've started and just your practice as an art therapist, you're reminding them of that safety net that's invisible, that you don't have to, you don't have to be productive to be worthwhile. Mm you can just be. And it is kind of a mind-bending conversation to think about how we would describe ourselves without any accomplishments or any labels, because it's almost impossible. But to know that in our seat of our centered soul, we could be fine. If, if our therapy went away, if being a physician went away, we'd be Mm -hmm. okay. You know, you can count Mm -hmm. on yourself. You have your own nervous system and you'll regulate it. And what you're giving people are the tools to learn how to do that. Mm -hmm. I love that. So tell me about um, a little bit about experience working with people that are burned out. Talk about burnout. Oh my goodness. It's, it's so interesting that this is kind of the direction that my practice has taken. And this is, this is really my focus now. Um, running a private practice is working with folks who are helpers in some way, either their therapists themselves, Mm -hmm. their moms, their teachers, their nurses, they're just people living through a pandemic, right. Mm -hmm. But are having this experience of it's all too much. It's all too fast. The culture is putting this pressure. I'm putting this pressure. My work is putting this pressure on me that doesn't feel possible or sustainable. Um, so what we can do with the art materials is actually practice doing things that, kind of counteract that or finding like we were talking about before value in different ways. I'll give an example. Um, Something like that could look like in a session is, okay, what would it be like to give yourself permission to play with this new material for 30 minutes, knowing that you're not going to keep it, knowing that you're going to throw it away afterwards. Now, not necessarily for everyone, for some people that could be totally activating and not feel safe or good. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. But for the right person, that's amazing because Mm -hmm. you're right. We, we cling again, here's that Buddhist uh, and we cling to that step of, well, I'm a help, especially helpers, you know, in a helping profession or helping role. It's that's, that's your identity is you're helping. And what happens when that's not there and and whatever you're doing Mm -hmm. in the next 30 minutes doesn't really matter. It is kind of a, a little bit of a whiplash for Mm -hmm. the way we're thinking. What other things do you feel would really be core to helping somebody come to terms that they are burned out? How about even identifying that? Do you have any tips on that? Right. I mean, I think a great tell is just how connected do I feel to the people around me? How is my capacity for empathy doing, right? These are our telltale signs that, okay, if I'm not feeling kind of in my body, if I'm not um, able to kind of sympathize and empathize with the people mm-hmm. around me the way I was, say, two years ago or three years ago, um, or if it feels like I'm kind of missing the mark on success, if it feels like that kind of finish line or that goalpost for success is even more and more unreachable, yes. those are pretty good signs that we're burned out. And so I think the first most important thing is to lift this weight of responsibility. I burned myself out. Usually it wasn't you. It's, Mm -hmm. it's living under capitalism. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. working in industries that demand unbelievable physical, intellectual, emotional labor. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you're socialized as a woman, if you're socialized, you know, it's like, there's so many things Mm -hmm. we can go into like a layers and layers of an onion to peel. And and I think that's what tricks a lot of 
um, you know, colleagues of mine in their brain, they go, well, of course it's not me. They know that look at all the things I can't fix all the things. There's no way I could be better. What would you say to counteract that kind of spiraling of thoughts when they're like, it's everything. And I don't think I'll ever feel better. Mm. Yeah. I mean, this is a delicate place, right? Holding what's the systemic problem. Um, you know, first of all, letting it feel like a relief, hopefully that, oh, okay, it's not me. Right. I can't actually control the way a hospital works or the way an agency works or whatever Mm -hmm. system that Mm -hmm. is holding you in this pattern of work that isn't sustainable for you. Um, I think so that noticing and shifting the control away usually feels like a relief for people, but then also not to get stuck in this, this hopelessness of like, it's always going to be this way. Right. I can't change. Um, so, I mean, this is, this is part of being an anti-oppressive therapist as well mm-hmm. as it's holding what we Because you want to be accountable also systems. for the systems, right? You want to hold some accountability, mm-hmm. like, okay, they've got to change too. But at the mm-hmm. same time, helping us kind of take out that external locus of control and saying, okay, what can I, what can I do right now? And a lot of it is what the work you're doing is like, let's mm-hmm. anchor back into our bodies, right? I mean, mm-hmm. what, what can my ne- next breath look like? You know, what can, exactly? Yeah. It's, it's holding that balance. It's, mm-hmm. you know, holding that piece, what's mine, what's not mine. And within what's mine, you know, am I able to make an hour and a half a week for art therapy? Am I, you know, able to figure out what types of rest actually restore me? You know, it might not be, might not be Netflix. Maybe it is like no shame there, but thinking about the ways that you're actually resting in your life and figuring out if that's actually being rejuvenating for you. I know for myself, watching an hour of TikTok doesn't usually leave me feeling more rested. It's good for turning off my brain. We need that sometimes. But if I actually want to feel restored, it's probably moving my body, going outside, making it right. Right. I love this. I love that you're bringing up that recovery phase, which is actually the fourth phase of a flow cycle is we forget about that. You know, when your brain is in flow, there's the little bit of struggle because you want it to be challenging. Then you move into the release where you finally have that, aha, I'm I'm right in, I'm getting right into flow. And then you have flow, but then we forget about that fourth cycle, which is so important, which is recovery and restorative, restorative practices. And many of us, like you said, equate that to just, oh, well, I won't be working, but I'll, I'll binge on social media or Netflix. And like you said, that's fine, but that's more dissociation rather than recovering and, you know, nature and breathing and moving and, you know, eating or soaking in a nice, you know, hot bath. Those are definitely more restorative. Um, Tell me a little bit. I'm just curious what your thoughts would be on for those that feel very kind of, I guess, frozen in a state mm-hmm. of lack of creativity, what ways can you help them reintroduce creativity into their life? Mm. Yeah. This is something people ask all the time, right? I don't know where to start. Like the sentence that I think I hear more often than any other is, Oh, I can't even draw a stick figure. Yes. Great. Like truly great. Like having technical and I'm using big quotes here. Technical art skills is, is not important for expressing yourself and using art as a therapeutic tool, right? We're so much more concerned in art therapy with how the process feels than what the final product looks like. So what that can look like, you know, say you're at home looking for a way to kind of get over that hurdle of wanting to create, but not feeling good enough is you could create a circumstance for yourself where it would actually be impossible 
to make something perfect. So one way could be using materials that aren't precise, like Play-Doh, like what a big crayon, like something that your kid might have, right? Things that, you know, are not meant for, for masterpieces, um, things that are messy, things that aren't even art materials can be great. Or I love it, like a bottle of ketchup. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. A bottle of ketchup and a fork and a plate. And you know, what would a symbol of self be? That that's totally that's a good awesome. one. But uh the other thing is if that if that still feels like too much of a barrier, because it can sometimes, you know, working with a blank piece of paper can cause a lot of anxiety for people. Sure. Beginning by shakes up the parameters, like drawing with your feet or drawing with your non-dominant hand, right? Knowing that, okay, this is never going to be perfect because it's not with, you know, the skill that I'm coming into it with. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's really fun, especially in a, in a group. And sometimes when I'm, I'm meeting in small groups with residents and medical students, it's so fun to just invite them with a prompt like that, because you know, there's always that one in the group that's like, this is, this is silly. What, what's the purpose? But then by the end, they're usually the one that's having a lot of fun, you know, and, and mm. asking for the purple marker or whatever, you know, and it's fun just to just give permission. And I think that's the capital P word that we all need is the permission mm. just to have fun and just see what happens that without a goal, without an attached outcome. Um, so what lights you up? What is your favorite hobby or joy or passion? Are you geeking out about anything specifically recently? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I'm just, my face is lighting up and I'm, I'm grinning as you're asking that that. question. Uh, I move between hobbies a lot. Um, I'll show you that I was diagnosed with ADHD this year and that's helped me to really embrace the part of me that loves to start projects and doesn't love to finish them. Um, (laughs) so I'm at this place of acceptance now of being able to be really excited about having a bunch of projects on the go. And so right now, um, I'm loving gel pens. Like this is just a material, (laughs) like I had in middle school, just because they have such a great opaque, bright color. So if I'm working with a client, I'll often have a gel pen off the side. So that's one material that I'm, I'm kind of fixated on and enjoying, but I'm also, I'm doing lots of improv quilting these days. Oh, I think I've seen some of your work. It's amazing. Do you do like little quotes, right? Or no? Yeah. So improv quilting is kind of, is kind of the perfect balance for me between like painting, abstract painting and doing something that's soft and, um, a little bit more precise, like precision has never, ever been my thing. And so I thought, oh, I'll never, I'll never carry on the family tradition of quilting because I cannot sew a seam straight, save my life. But then I found this incredible um, dancer, improviser, creator. Uh, their name is Marley Grace, and they teach uh, improv quilting. I haven't taken the class yet, but mm. just this idea that you can make a seam, iron it out, make another seam, and kind of create this improvised oh, like neat. tapestry. So it, it it blends together all of these different areas for me, uh, and it takes a long time. It kind of slows me down a little bit, but so that's that's one one material I've been really enjoying. Oh, that's lately. really fun. That's mm-hmm. really fun to think about. And you just made me think of how different materials really do give us sensations in our body, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've, You just made me think, no wonder. I've never really embraced um, cross-stitch or mm. knitting or anything that's really small. I love big, messy things. I tend to gravitate towards more, like more color, more mess. And that also means I don't clean up very well. And I, I, I need like a sous chef. I need like an artistic sous chef that will just like clean up all uh-huh. my clutter, you know? I do but too. I, Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny that, you know, I'm thinking, wow, I wonder what that metaphor would tell me that I don't like that, that really myopic kind of preciseness. I just like messiness, you know, it's just mm-hmm. fun. And I think this is so interesting to be 
passionate about different things to try daring to suck. You know, I tell people all the time, like, Mm -hmm. who cares if you're not good or you never want to be good at something It just play around, try something new. Um, what is something that you've tried? Okay. The improv quilting, anything else that you've tried new that you were like, I have no idea how this is going to go. Oh gosh. Well, I'm, I'm using the anti-hustle art studio right now to do that kind of experimenting because no one's going to see it. I'm not showing that yeah. art to anybody. So I've been kind of just messing around with collage and stamping and just making nice. art without a plan in that space. But um, the other one, the other piece that I think has been really, really important to me lately is bilateral drawing. And that's a practice, usually with large paper, often taped to a wall where you have two drawing materials, one in each hand, and you're drawing with both hands at once. Uh, an incredible facilitator who runs bilateral drawing uh, in in Victoria, BC, but also also online. Uh, they go by the Instagram handle Hey Shauna, um, oh. and just if anyone's interested in in bilateral drawing and this really somatic process of drawing imperfectly, kind of scribbling with both hands at once. Oh my goodness, go check out their work. But oh, essentially, wow. yeah. So bilateral drawing is this, this process of drawing with both hands, often to music, sometimes in silence, but just being with, with rhythm, drawing things that don't look like anything, just letting your body move while making marks. Um, and for me, it's the perfect balance of what I want to get out of meditation and dance and art making. There's actually some big paper on the side of my studio wall right now that just is covered in pencil scribbles. Oh, that sounds lovely. That's the kind of mm. house I want to live in with like dry erase walls everywhere, you know, yeah. um, because I just want to write on everything. I think I've lost some mm. square footage in my home because I keep painting walls, which I love your colors, by the way. Um, and I'm going to definitely have to check out. You said it's Hey Shauna. Is that what it is? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the bilateral run. drawing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's so, it's so great for neuroplasticity too, because you're connecting that, you know, left, right hemispheres and, you know, it kind of taps a little bit into, you know, the EMDR trauma work that, you know, you can mm-hmm. do to, like you said, kind of get back into that body again um, and, and feel centered and grounded. I love it. So, okay. In the last few minutes, I do have an imaginary question for you. Part of the work I do is trying to catalyze a different delivery of healthcare. You know, the system is broken. It won't be changed in our lifetime, but planting seeds of just innovation, seeds of Mm -hmm. thoughts to consider how we could do things differently. And, you know, there's a gamut of all sorts of different ideas. But in your mind, if you had a magic wand, what would you wish was different or could be in the future of healthcare that you think would be necessary? I love that question. I think what I would wish is for creative spaces to exist within or alongside other types of healthcare spaces, right? I think art therapy is sometimes pushed to the side because it's it's frivolous, it's creative, right? People don't know that it's you know, mm-hmm. incredibly evidence-based and incredibly effective. But I think, yeah, the vision would be you walk into a healthcare center and there's your physiotherapist, there's clinical counselor, there's the art therapist, there's the general practitioner having this integration of all of these different kinds of modalities with creativity also, you know, being valued in that same way. That's beautiful. I agree. I, I, I love thinking of a world where there's no stigma. We're just assigned. You've got your therapist, like you have a dentist, you've got your, you know, and we're talking talk therapist, art therapist, maybe you have a whole team, you know, but I think Mm -hmm. us as humans, it does take a community to help us. I mean, 
we're, we're not given a roadmap uh, on how to walk the earth with our meat skeleton, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's nice to have other professionals that have different skill sets to guide us in unlocking, you know, different things that happen in our body health-wise, mentally, um, and all those things. And I think that would be a great, I would definitely be hanging out in the art therapist room for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness. So tell me a little bit more, where can people find you, Amelia, if they want to contact you? Sure. You can find me at my website. That's arttherapyinreallife.com. Uh, these days I'm pretty active on TikTok. Um, my handle for both Instagram and TikTok is arttherapyirl. And if you're interested in Anti-Hustle Art Studio, it's running twice a week next month and will continue through the year. Um, and that's a space that folks can come sign in. You can have your camera on camera off. You can work on the prompts that are offered. You can also just work on a creative project that you've been meaning to get to, or just have that space open for you to make whatever feels right. And, you know, not necessarily productive. I love it. I'm so, Mm -hmm. so glad and grateful that you are here on this podcast. Thank you for sharing your time, Amelia. You are definitely a catalyzer and bringing new change in the realm of art therapy. Um, Everybody is so lucky to be a part of the new things you're developing. And I can't wait to see where Anti-Hustle Art Studio goes. So thank you again for being a guest. Oh, thanks so much, Laura. Have a great day. And thank you for listening and catch me next time on the Catalyst Podcast.